This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Today I'd like to continue on a subject we've been talking about that I actually wrote back in the 1980s and the 90s, and it actually comes out of my book, It's Time to Cross the Jordan. I want to talk a little bit about what is Baal worship and how does that apply to the culture in which we live today. You see, to the Christian, the Baal God is anything that masters or possesses our affections more than Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 8. You see, Ezekiel was God's spokesman to an exiled church, a church that had been exiled to the wilderness of Babylon, that civilization which is so typical of what I believe our society today. Ezekiel was also a watchman to the house of Israel. He watched over a stiff-necked and rebellious people who were wholly inclined toward idolatry. This inclination rendered Israel totally susceptible to the seductions of the pagan environment in which they lived. This particular period in Israel's history represents a remarkable parallel to what I believe to the history of the church today. We also live in a corrupt pagan environment. And we have a tendency or inclined toward idolatry. We are susceptible to the sinful seductions around us. However, instead of a man like Ezekiel to watch over us, God has sent his own Holy Spirit to accomplish that task, to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, the name Ezekiel means God strengthens. You see, the Holy Spirit can and is using the message of Ezekiel to strengthen the hand of the church today, just as he used it to convict and strengthen the house of Israel in the past. Therefore, let us also listen to the words of Ezekiel, a man who grieved over the seductions of his people. Let us also listen to the convictions of the Holy Spirit as we open our hearts to the light of his word. As we study the message of Ezekiel, let us truly be concerned about what the Lord has to say concerning our relationship with him today. Ezekiel 8 verse 1 and 3 says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist and downward, fire, and from his waist and upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy, Ezekiel 8, 1 through 3. Okay, so let's get the picture as to what is happening here. Ezekiel is sitting in his house, preaching, praying, or conferring with the elders of Judah. Judah means praise. The elders of Judah here are representative of the church as a whole, which is supposed to be the praise and the glory of God on the earth. However, particular attention is drawn to the elders of Judah. In other words, to the leadership of the church of the day. Obviously, God is giving Ezekiel a vision to share with the leadership, a vision which is designed to convict them of their sin. Upon conviction, they're to minister to the people that self-same repentance. Ezekiel is transported in this vision to the inner court of the temple itself. 
in the inner court is an image of jealousy. It's an image which provokes a jealous God to jealousy for the affections of his people. This image represents an idol or the sin of idolatry amongst his people. Just as Israel was guilty of worshiping idols in God's own temple, so is the church guilty of harboring idolatry in the heart in the temple of God's Holy Spirit today. Somebody Cares America was on the ground the day after Hurricane Laura passed through. In the first four days of relief, over 4,000 hot meals were served to residents and first responders who were not only dealing with the loss of homes and other property, but also with a high heat index, no electricity, and in some places, no water. We want to thank each one of our partners and each person who has donated towards these efforts. If you would like to donate, go to somebodycares.org. Thank you again for caring. Do you know what? God is a jealous God. Ezekiel 8, 4 through 6 says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, Lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there north of the altar gate was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my own sanctuary? Now turn again, you will see even greater abominations. Ezekiel 8, verse 4 through 6. What is it that Israel is doing here? Sure, they're worshiping an idol, but is that all? The Lord is taking great pains here to detail exactly where this idol is located within the temple, or today, the house of the Lord. Where this idol is located will help us to understand what is particularly offensive about this form of idolatry. Remember, anything that masters or possesses our affections more than the Lord himself. Look at verse 3 through 5 again, but especially at verse 5. Notice the mention of the north or northward over and over again. The north side of the altar is typical of judgment. Judgment such as only God can give, and specifically the judgment which has been rendered against sin. This is why the Levitical sacrifices were always offered on the north side of the altar. Jesus himself, being the absolute fulfillment of those sacrifices, was offered up on the north side of Jerusalem, which of course represented God's final judgment against sin. So what is the importance of this in our discussion today? Well, think about it. Israel has set up another God in the house of the Lord. This other God does not know the judgment against sin. Therefore, if the people are worshiping at the feet of an idol which knows not the righteousness of the Lord, then they are worshiping at the altar of sin. Likewise, if we're preferring this image of jealousy before the image of God in Christ Jesus, then we have not the reflection of Christ in our lives but rather we have the reflection of the idolatrous world in which we are living in. Do you see it? God is saying here that we have preferred the idolatrous worship of the world over the holy altar of God where our sins are dealt with. Instead, we seek the temporal pleasures of this world. We have ceased to humble ourselves before God. We no longer lay our sins upon His altar that they may be judged. We choose to seek our own desires. In doing so, we become like the adulterous woman of Proverbs 30, verse 20. Because she sins, then wipes her mouth, saying, I have done no wrong. She has become a figure of the sin of spiritual adultery. This sin is notorious for having an outward form of godliness, but which has no fear of God in the heart. 
Again, we may not be doing anything outwardly sinful, but we are committing sexual immorality in the spirit when our hard hearts are not totally yielded to the Lord. We need to stop pushing God out of his own house, out of our own lives, out of our hearts, so that once again, he can anoint us with his power and his glory. Last year, I did a series and wrote some articles and did some podcasts on inviting El back in Bethel or God back in his own house because El is God. Bethel or Bethel means house of God. We've been worshiping the institution rather than worshiping the God of the house. We need God back in his house. Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 7 through 10 goes on to say, So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. Again, Ezekiel 8, verse 7 through 10. There are just two things which I would like to point out about this particular passage. First, remember God is talking about the church here, not about the ungodly. He's talking to his own people. Second, Ezekiel 8 verse 10 says that the church, his people, are involved in every form of idolatry and sin that the ungodly are involved in. In other words, there is no distinction between the children of God and the children of the world in God's eyes. They have become one in heart as well as deed. Instead of pursuing the righteousness of God, the church is pursuing the unrighteousness of mammon. The spiritual state of Israel, therefore, had become totally compromised through the seductions of the pagan environment in which they lived. Sounds a lot like where we are today. It happened because of their own lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Lord allowed Ezekiel to see into the secret chamber of God's own house. It was a chamber in which the elders of Israel sought to hide their inner thoughts and secret sins from the Lord. Just like Ezekiel, we ought to look within the secret chambers of our own hearts. We need to search out what is really within our temples. What do we really see painted on the walls of our own hearts? Let's take a look again at Ezekiel chapter 8, but this time verse 12 and 13. Then he said to me, Son of man... Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols. For they say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, turn again and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. In Ezekiel verse 11, there is a number, a symbolic number, 70, that confirms our contention that ancients of Israel, though representative of the leadership specifically, are also representative of the church as a whole. God is simply saying here that the spiritual state of the leadership will always be mirrored by the people to whom they are required to be examples. Thus, in verse 11 and 12, we see the Lord comparing what the church is actively doing as opposed to what is really in their hearts. On the one hand, the church is offering up prayers as if they are in right relationship with God. On the other hand, because they are spiritual adulterers in the heart, they are actually doing all manner of wickedness in their flesh or in private, in darkness. In the dark means that they are doing these things in secret. You see, they deceive themselves by thinking that the Lord neither sees nor cares about their sins. These elders think that the Lord is altogether like their idols. They don't see Him as a holy God. He is seen as a subject to their control and to their own desires. These people have no fear of God and are unable to comprehend the holiness of God. This prevents them from giving their hearts to God. 
Ezekiel 8, verse 14 and 15 says, So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. Ezekiel 8, 14 and 15. There is a significant progression here, which we need to look at. Notice the recurring phrases in verses 6, 13, and now verse 15. The Lord is showing us the natural progression of the effects of sin in our lives. The sin leads to greater and greater abominations. As I shared earlier, the compromise walk is a gradual process. It doesn't just happen all at once. The Lord shows us how this occurs. For example, sin begins in the heart. It's called iniquity. In this case, the house of the Lord or house of Israel had replaced their affections for the Lord and his righteousness with the idolatrous affections of the world, a world which knows not judgment against sin. From here, God says, turn again and you will see greater abominations in verse 5 and 6. In verse 6, we saw that the house of Israel pushed the Lord out of his own sanctuary through the spiritual adultery that was in their hearts. In verse 7 through 12, we see them refilling the sanctuary of their heart and mind. Because the Lord has been removed, their sanctuary becomes a spiritual vacuum. This is an inward manifestation of the physical idol or image of jealousy that Israel had raised up in the house of God. They are now embellishing this idol as they fill their sanctuary with all other manner of filth, uncleanliness, impure thoughts, and desires. Verse 10, now begin the visible stages of the compromised walk hypocrisy. What began in the heart becomes only a form of godliness. That which was done in secret will now be known outwardly. The church is continuing the pretense of prayer and right relationship with God while engaged in all manner of wickedness. Verse 11 and 12. Hypocrisy. The fact that they were doing these things in secret is evidence that the children of Israel knew what they were doing was wrong. God's people willfully chose to rebel against their creator. In verse 14, we see the final stages of rebellion against God. Now the heart continues to be deceived and hardened through hypocrisy and begins to make a more outward show of its affections. Verse 14, with this outward show of affection, open rebellion against God is not far behind. Verse 16 and 17. In verse 14, we see the woman of God weeping for Tammuz, the Babylonian god of worldly desire. The worship of Tammuz was connected with licentiousness, partying and orgy-type festivals. Licentiousness, or taking license, means loose, lustful, or lawless behavior. The women of God were weeping for this personification of worldly desire. They had exalted this desire to the place of Godhead within their own hearts. Deep down, they wanted to be lustful, to be loose and lawless of spirit. Yet they also knew that this kind of heart attitude offended a three-time holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The women of God wanted the world and at the same time wanted to worship in the house of God. Since they couldn't have it both ways, they had to make a choice. This choice tore apart their soul and left them weeping for their God, Tammuz. How many of us, men and women, weep for Tammuz in the very same way? We're serving God while our souls are literally torn apart by the lusts of this world. How many of us actually desire to be loose, lawless, and lustful of spirit deep down in our hearts? Is God well pleased with such a heart? Of course not. If the desire is there, then there is an idol in our heart that needs to be utterly destroyed. That idol or sin needs to be replaced at the foot of the cross and left there. How many of us 
had an amazing, passionate love for the Lord in the past, but became seduced by this world. It happened because of the idolatry left in our hearts. How many of us had to hit rock bottom before we realized the lukewarmness of our relationship with the Lord? Let's look at Ezekiel 8, verse 16 through 18. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will also act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cried in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Here we see the final result of the choices that Israel made. They went from idolatry in the heart to open worship of a strange god in God's own house. These 25 men are worshiping Baal, the sun god, as God. Baal means Lord, possessor, husband. So Baal is now the Lord of their lives. The children of Israel are also partaking of all the immoral idolatry that Baal is connected with. Baal is the possessor of their souls. He is their husband. Jehovah, who betrothed them to himself, has been replaced by another god. Because Baal is their Lord, they are worshiping him in full view of all Israel. The children of Israel are totally unashamed of their actions. This is the natural progression of iniquity in the heart, total and outright rebellion against God. Likewise, in our own lives, God loves us so much and warns us. He warns us of the false teachers in the church and the ministering wolves in the pulpit. He warns us of children of God whom, by their own lifestyles, openly deny the deity and lordship of Jesus Christ. They openly tolerate the sins, the fornications, the adulteries, the abortions, the love of money rather than the love of God. God is warning us that this is a growing rebellion, and for this reason He has allowed some idolaters in the church to be exposed, in order that we may put a stop to it. Ending this idolatrous rebellion begins with each one of us. We must ask ourselves some tough questions and get some honest answers. Do we spend more time worshiping the sun than worshiping the S-O-N? Do we spend the majority of our time sunbathing, working on our physical bodies, expanding our intellects, building up our businesses, or pursuing temporal dreams? Are we spending more time doing the things that satisfy a loose, lawless, and lustful spirit in our hearts, or do we spend the majority of our time seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Do we spend our time praying, studying, and worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, or do we spend time watching TV, listening to the radio, or even to Christian music? What kind of quality time do we give to a jealous God? This is the question. It really is about perspective. Not that we should not pursue the things in this world to help our families, to provide, to be good stewards of the blessings of God. But how much time are we seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness so all these other things can be added to us? Are we spending time on our knees, what I call knee posture, and seeking God's grace and wisdom and guidance and direction? He is the Lord our God. We should not be worshiping the gods of this world. Our affection should be wholly given to the Lord Jesus Christ, who by which he has given us the keys of his kingdom. He's given us everything that we actually need when we seek first his kingdom. Reading a few scriptures and mumbling a few prayers at mealtime and bedtime just will not get it done anymore. We need to repent. We need to have a heart humble before God. Revival starts here in the heart of us, each and every one of us. 
No Christian, of course, would admit to being a Baal worshiper, but as stated at the beginning, Baal worship consists of anything that masters or possesses our affections above that of Jesus Christ. Without questions, there are areas in our lives where we could become Baal worshipers, areas in which we are living in idolatry, where our hearts are given over to the world. We must pray for God's mercy, strength, wisdom, grace to root out and overcome these things in our lives. But first, we must accept the fact that we are sinners and that we need the grace, the amazing, great, bounding grace of the Lord in all areas of our lives. As individuals and as the church as a whole, there are areas we need to deal with. When we can accept this, we're at the place where God can bring refreshing to us individually and to the church as a whole and corporately. Today's message on bell worship was a heavy one. Maybe it's sitting on your heart right now and you're thinking, I need to repent and make things right with God. As this message comes to a close, we encourage you to take time out today and pray. We also encourage you to hit download on this message and listen to it again. Let it get deep into our spirits because we know that the great revival and awakening we long to see in this world has to begin in us. It begins with an uncompromising walk and simple obedience to the Lord in our everyday, ordinary lives. That's going to be what creates the change in our world. If you'd like to purchase a copy of It's Time to Cross the Jordan by Doug Stringer, you can do so on our website, somebodycares.org. And if you're in need of prayer today, you can send us prayer requests, prayer at somebodycares.org. And you can also call our prayer line, 855 855- and keep up to date with all that we're doing by following us on Instagram at Somebody Cares America, Facebook, or our YouTube channel, or you can sign up for email updates at somebodycares.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.